I am a little discombobulated right now. Uh, there's a lot on my mind, and I'm, I, I want to be transparent. And so uh, be patient with me as we uh, just kind of walk through some stuff. Um, this morning, I was... Uh, Coming down the stairs, and and uh, Debbie's downstairs waiting for me. Uh, she's been waiting for me for forty five years. By the way, uh, we had our anniversary yesterday, and um, um, yeah, so it's it's been it's been good. Um, I'll tell you that every marriage has a season, and you've heard me say this before, a spring, summer, fall, winter, and both Debbie and I will be the first to say we fought about everything, and so we can't find anything else to fight about. <laughs> and let me just submit this to you if you're watching or you're here and you're considering divorce, man. Uh, Don't do it. We'll get more into that maybe a little bit later. But um, so anyway, I was coming down the stairs, and uh, we have a little window at the bottom. And I would typically, historically, ask Debbie, "Hey, are we going to pick up your mom for church today?" And uh, you know, she's in heaven, so she's enjoying our time together. But I was thinking of um, the pattern that we live and the legacy that we leave, you know. And I just want to encourage you today, I don't know your track record, I don't know, you know, whatever you're going through. And you've heard me say this many times because I totally believe it, and that is the value of consistently being in church. And especially the days that we're living in today, we need, we need each other. Last Sunday morning, I was in the foyer, or walking through the foyer, and I heard a couple dudes talking, and the exchange, hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing, man? Good. And then the thought occurred to me, I wonder, I wonder if they are good, you know? I mean, are we just saying those words because we're expected to? And uh, I had a conversation with one of the dudes uh, before church last Sunday about that. And then Wednesday, uh, I was talking to another dude, and, and, and um, just the value of being transparent. And I brought up that conversation from the previous Sunday and I said, I'm, ha- I'm having kind of a tough day. I'm, I've, I feel um, tension. You know, I felt tension all day in me, um, elevated. And so we were talking, and so I, I brought up that conversation with the guys, and I said, I hope we can be, I hope we can be honest with each other, you know? Because I don't have it all together, man. And, and, um, uh, I, I am always reminded that I need the Lord. And I can never tap out on, I've got enough of Him. 
right now because there always seems to be reminders, man, where I need God's help. How about you? Yeah, so we're doing this together. This is not a perfect church. We don't claim to be. We endeavor to be a group of people that come together and say, man, I'm going after God. And we're expecting his spirit to breathe life into us to to help us live consistently uh, with that. And so, um, uh, I know this may not mean anything to anybody, but I put my watch on a couple days ago and I looked at it and it was behind schedule. You know, the battery was dead. And so I brought it to a, a place, hey, I need a new battery. Oh, we don't have that battery, but they're ordered. When should we get, well, it should be here Friday, and it's not here Friday. I don't have my watch on. So I thought about, maybe your battery is tapped out. And we all have batteries. We have we have a soul, and we have a core. And if we don't recharge that spiritual battery, we're going we're gonna to tap out. And let me tell you something. There's a great demand on each one of us as followers of Christ today. There is a demand on you. And you can drain out. You can tap out real quick. If you don't consistently spend time with the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, man, maybe you're empty spiritually. Maybe you're searching spiritually. Maybe you're struggling right now. Um, may this time today be an investment for all of us. And then this past week, I had lunch with Dave Ogren. Those of you that are attenders here, you know that uh, Dave's coming in November. Uh, representative for um, media outreach around the world, heavily involved in uh, uh, evangelism, multimedia venues, etc. And Dave and I have that kind of relationship where we can be, we're very honest with each other. And um, in the course of our conversation, uh, I told him I'd, I've been in, in the book of Daniel. He just got out of the book of Daniel. So we had a conversation about Daniel, which is going to bring me uh, to Daniel 6. Uh, because this has been uh, on my mind as of late. It jumped out at me uh, as I read it. And it, it's, a, it's a good reminder. And so Daniel... Um, Darius the Mede was king of Babylon, the world empire at that time. And Daniel learned that the law had been signed, a law that you can only bow down to the king. Otherwise, you get thrown into a lion's den. And he went home. Why don't you think about that? So he's part of the government, and people are watching him, just like they're watching you. You claim to be a follower of Christ, people are watching you. They're listening to you. And he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. That's a great way to start your time with the Lord is to thank him. We've done that this morning. 
And then these dudes that were trying to undermine his integrity, they, they come in with um, a SWAT team, basically, uh, hoping to find something they can accuse him of, which then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. That's what hit me. Here's Daniel. He's been part of the, the government for decades now in Babylon, a foreign country, a pagan country. And he's set the example of being a man of God. And you would think, man, after doing it for so long, he's in a, he's in a flow. He, he can hit cruise control. He can hit the automatic pilot and keep doing the same thing he's been doing. But he doesn't. And with this new law that came across the land, he could, he could have compromised easily. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I just want to chill spiritually. But no, he, he goes against the law and he prays to God and he asks him for help. And friends, we need to ask God for help. I need it. God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I need your wisdom. I don't have the answers. I need your help. And so um, Dave and I got going on this, and uh, it, I just want to say, man, how cool it is to have a friend that, you know, we can get each other fired up in God's Word, you know? He says, man, I'm just starting to read Ezekiel, and so he went off on Ezekiel for a while. <laughs> My point about lunch with Dave Ogren, I didn't bring my glasses. I couldn't see the menu. I thought I could. And I ordered something that I thought the menu said. And when it came, I got through the first half and I thought, wait a minute, where's the chicken? Because you almost had to go on a search and destroy mission to find something between the bread, you know? It finally hit me like, man, there's just a skinny piece of cheese there and a few slices of bacon. I didn't order this, but I did. Because with my blurry eyes, I thought it's a chicken. The point is we need to put our spiritual glasses on to see clearly because there is so much deception going on in our culture today, friends. That we need to be very intentional about what we read and how we read it and how we apply it to our lives. And so um, your battery, your spiritual glasses, um, let's fire them up. Because um, I am so grateful again for all the volunteers that serve here at Life Church, and and uh, you see them operating all the time. And so our mission here is: you see the earth moving equipment out here, you see changes taking place in the landscape, and that's going to continue. And to think. Man, that God has a plan right here, right now. And he's working, right? And he's using you, and he wants to use me. And we can say yes to him, or we can say no, or hit, you know, maybe I'll 
maybe later on, whatever the case may be. So um, let's see what God does together. Let's get involved. Not as a spectator, but as a participant. Because that's, um, that's where you, you, um, your faith grows when you serve, when you give out, when you give what the Lord's given to you. So, so there. I think that's everything. Um, so we're in, uh, we're in Philippians, and um, you've got your notes, and when you look at the back of your, your notes, you think, holy smoke. Yeah, that's what I said, too. Um, we, are, we are walking through Philippians, and I'm loving it so much. So, everybody ready? You have a pen, you're plugged in, you have your Bibles. Austin Carlyle, I don't know if you ever heard of him, you ever read anything about him, but when Austin was 15 years old, his parents divorced and it tore his life apart. That's why I'm, I'm coming back to some of you have lived through divorce and some of you are, you know, you're single parents and you're maybe when you were a child growing up, your parents divorced and you know the scars that it left, right? Yeah. And so for Austin, man, it ripped him apart. And so he went to live with his mother, but within two years, she died from an aneurysm caused by a Marfan syndrome. It's a rare genetic disorder. And Austin, after that happened, he kind of hit the wall. Like he had, I can't take any more of this. And he just went ballistic, man. He threw his hands up and he cursed God. And he found an outlet that he felt could serve him. And that was music, the music industry. And he said, I had all this rage. I had, a lot of it was towards God. I could yell into a mic and get all that rage and hate out. And maybe you feel like that this morning too, man. It seems like God has just washed up on you. One thing after another, kind of like Austin here. You know, and you throw your hands up and you curse God and you say, man, I can't take it anymore. Listen to the rest of the story. He started a band called Of Mice and Men, which took off, man. It just exploded. Every song they wrote, it, it, it just sold like crazy. He, made all, he, he made all kinds of money. But sadly, uh, over time, Austin also realized he had inherited his mother's genetic disorder. And he began facing incredible pain as well. Where did he go? To alcohol, to drugs. Maybe that's what you're doing in the pain of life because you have nowhere else to go. The thing was, alcohol and drugs just took over his life. He became a slave to it. And one day after a show, he climbed up on the roof of his touring bus and he called his dad and said, Dad, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? I'm depressed. I'm in pain. My band is building this success, but I feel so empty, so hurt, so lost. 
And his dad asked him a very simple question. He said, son, where is God in your life? And that's a good question for all of us right now. Where is God in your life? Is he an afterthought? Is he on the shelf? Is he in the closet? Or is he number one priority? Well, that question sent Austin to the Bible. And after reading the Bible, he prayed, God, I want to come back to you. Let's start this all over again, putting my trust in you. And even after Austin made that spiritual turnaround, his health continued to deteriorate, causing him to give up life on the road. He put all of his belongings in a storage facility and moved to Costa Rica to be near his dad. And the rent of his storage facility was paid by a monthly draft to his credit card, but (laughs) not realizing it, his credit card expired and the storage facility cleaned all of his stuff and sold everything in those units. And Austin said, it it was filled with everything that I ever owned, man. Everything that I had from childhood. I had my vinyl collection there, my recording equipment, everything. And he was left with only three suitcases of belongings. And he wrote, I still don't have anything. I don't have a job. I don't know what's next. I don't know what God is planning. But I have so much more joy, peace, and happiness now than I've had in my entire life. God showed me that everything I need is in him. I literally have nothing else. And there you see Austin smiling after everything he's gone through. Why? Because Jesus Christ can make a difference in your life if you let him. And he wants to. He wants to make that difference. Somebody said the real measure of our wealth is how much we would be worth if we lost all of our money. It's a good thought, isn't it? As we read Philippians 4, let's go there. And um, um, Paul says, how, verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again, writing to the church at Philippi. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive the reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning. There's a lot going on around us, Lord. There's there's a lot of things hitting the fan, the fans in our lives. And Lord, we're here today because 
because simply we need you. And maybe those that can identify with um, Austin, um, all the things that he dealt with life, and Lord, how he turned to you and your word, I pray that will happen for them as well. So we trust you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us through this word of God. That's true. We can base our lives on it. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Philippians is a thank you letter to the church at Philippi. Paul, as we just read, um, is thanking them really for their numerous offerings that they sent his way. And he, he just wanted to say, hey, I got your, your gift from Epaphroditus, and thank you very much. He's speaking with, from a heart of gratitude, realizing that God has been using the church at Philippi to supply some of the financial needs that he has. And um, in Proverbs 11.25, it says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So the writer of Proverbs, and we know there is something about stuff that we have, we give it away. The writer here says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Digressing back to Wednesday night. So I told you how I felt for that day, but after, after being in church Wednesday night, I sat there thinking how good it has been to be with God's people. I felt refreshed. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Zig Ziglar tells about his brother who loved to tell this story where a man went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower and the neighbor explained that he could not let him use the mower because all the flights had been canceled from New York to Los Angeles. So the man asked the dude, uh, what do cancel flights from New York to Los Angeles have to do with borrowing your lawnmower? And, and he said, it doesn't have anything to do with it. But if I don't want to let you use my lawnmower, one excuse is as good as another. Michael Horton, in his book, uh, Made in America, writes, I wish we could say that Christians are different. When George Gallup surveyed American religion, he found that the materialistic outlook for our society did not differ significantly between Christians and non-Christians. And this morning, uh, don't get nervous, don't freak out, because we're talking about money. It's in the text today. If it's in the text, we'll read it. If it's in the text, we'll apply it to our lives, hopefully, right? Yeah. What's uh, Michael Horton talking about? Because the average church says that 17%, a survey was done, 17% say they tithe. 
but only 3% actually do. 40% will give nothing all year. Um, The average Christian in the United States gives about 2% of their income toward helping people advance God's kingdom on earth, meaning 98% goes outside of God's kingdom. And um, even this morning, if you're you're feeling a little edgy, (laughs) you know, a little uncomfortable with this topic, um, maybe God is not satisfying you and... Maybe there's a spiritual problem you've got to identify and uh, deal with it. First John two fifteen through seventeen gives us kind of a warning, a flare in the air. Do not love this world nor the things it offers for you. For when you love the world, you do not you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world, and this world is fading away. True or false? True, it's fading away. In fact, you could see it fading right in front of your eyes if you have your spiritual glasses on. Along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Talking about money... Um, Paul is talking about money, by the way. I don't know if you caught that um, in the text, Philippians. And he's bragging about the church at Philippi, about their generosity, about their faithfulness in giving, and what a difference that can make. When we look at Michael Horton's uh, summary of the Christian church in America today, and we look at Barna's statistics on giving in the church, uh, it, it doesn't look healthy, really. Because if we say we're followers of Christ and we say God owns everything and everything I have belongs to God, there's a disconnect there somewhere, it seems. And so... Talking about a spiritual um, breakdown, a disconnect. Uh, There's a spirit. There's a worship leader in in America that uh, I listen to his stuff, and he wrote this. I find myself increasingly troubled when I look at Western Christian culture and see such a startling lack of representation or instruction on vital teachings in the Bible particularly the passages that warn and admonish. It troubles me that teachings on these passages are virtually non-existent in modern preaching. But if I sit down and just read a couple chapters of Scripture, they're so prevalent, I can't escape them. And no, I'm not talking about the Old Testament covenant. I'm I'm talking about the teachings of Jesus, his apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, those guys So much heresy is running rampant in the church because we're not clearly preaching the reality of eternal judgment, the reality of heaven and hell, or the frequent commands of concerning holiness and godliness, purity and true Jesus apprenticeship. I don't know quite how we got there, but somehow we've created Christian cultures that edit scriptures, remove the gravity of his holy commandments, and numb people's ears to real truth. 
If you want a glimpse into the last two years of my life, it has mostly been about deep and ongoing repentance. As I've let his words, God's words, pierce me, at times even terrify me, real fear and trembling, deep grieving over my sin and brokenness. And not once was it disconnected from his love, his mercy, or his goodness. In fact, I have felt all those things the strongest in the midst of it. His truth is merciful. His truth is love. His truth is good. But oh, the warfare over truth in our lives. How great our need of his discipline. I'm not wagging a crooked, judgmental finger. I literally write this in tears. My loving appeal is this. Read scripture as though your life depended on it. If you read Christian literature more than the word, stop and reverse that. Now more than ever, feed on the word of God. Let it refine you, preserve you, guard and equip you for every good fruit-bearing work. The times ahead demand it. I thought this was applicable because there has been a disconnect in the, from reading the Bible to really the, the financial giving of followers of Christ in America. It's as if... When Jesus talks about finances, and we can get into that, he talked more about finances than he did have or hell because he knew money was a problem, could be a problem with people. But Paul is celebrating the fact that the, the church in Philippi had learned the secret of giving. How fun it was to give. And friends, I can tell you, man, Life Church, there is a great future for what God wants to do. And you look back over the decades and you see the faithfulness of God and you see people that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. We are here to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Jesus, the only name by which men and women can be saved. We proclaim that freely. With abandonment, because it's true. And so what we do, and what we are doing, and will do in the future is, it will be at the foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ presented to everyone who is willing to listen. And I would submit to you today, it's going to take finances to do that. It is. That's what Paul is saying right here. It's taken finances to keep his ministry rolling. And he's grateful for the church that plugged in and caught the vision of everything belongs to God, and I'm just a manager of what he's given to me. And we let it go freely. Is that good? Are you good with that? <laughs> and, 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 and so that's, that's where we're going. So, Jer, the, 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 this article, this, this kind of like, man, maybe I need to start reading the Bible again and start applying it to my life. Uh, you'll see what we're talking about is true, you know? And uh, how much fun it is to give. 
because God gave. Real quick um, review. Number one, live to celebrate. Verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He is fired up. He's, he's praising the Lord. That means to rejoice exceedingly, to be joyful, to be full of joy. Even under house arrest, he is fired up because the church at Philippi has been faithfully supporting his ministry. Even while he's been under house arrest for two years, he's saying, thank you. Number two, live to learn. We are never too old or been around for so long that we can say, I'm going to stop learning. No, we're going to continue to learn. Paul says, not that I was ever in need, but I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. So Paul is saying, you know, if the finances don't come in, I've been, I've, been, I've been content there. If the finances come in, I've been content there. I'm good because I'm trusting God is in control. You know, he's in control. Now, word learn means to be learning from experience. So you don't read it out of a book. You experience those things. And Paul, over time, has learned the secret of being content in whatever situation he's in because he believes God is ruling and reigning over his life and positioning him wherever God wants him to be, with plenty, with little. And Paul's good with that. And we hit this last Sunday as well, Psalm 23, when David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. That should, work, that should be an explanation point for all of us, right? We have all that we need. You know, we're not discontent because we want more. We are, we realize that we have all that we need. Number three, live to adapt. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul had something and he says, I know. Look at verse 12. I know how to live. I know because he lived through it. This is not talking about a head knowledge. It's talking about, I have lived through it, and I know without a shadow of a doubt. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And we talked about um, Corey and Betsy Ten Boom in Ravensbrück concentration camp, World War II, with the fleas, and how they had learned to be content with the fleas. Remember that? Learn to adapt. They learn to adapt even in a concentration camp. Friends, we, we, we as followers of Christ need to learn to be adaptive. Yeah. You know? Not getting pushed in, out of position by the world's culture, but learning from life experiences with Christ at the head of our lives, we can learn to adapt to wherever God puts us. Right? Yeah. All right. You can talk back to me, by the way, friends. Yeah, we, we can dialogue. It's, it's cool. So here we are. We're still, well, that was number three. We're, we're starting over because this is number one. Live to trust God's power, verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see a lot of athletes, you know, with that. In fact, I had a pair of Under Armour running shoes that on the side it had that verse on the side I didn't put it there it came with the shoe see what does that mean I could run a marathon no 
Some people think so, you know, you just kind of plug in that verse and then, you, you, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> That's not what Paul's writing about here. Uh, the context, we've got to keep it in context. So um, Paul is saying he's learned in, in difficult times, he's thrived and good times. And he's saying because of that, I was able to do it because it was the Lord who gave me the strength to do it. He's bragging about Jesus here. For I can do everything. He's not saying I may do everything I want, but I can do. That word do is an interesting word in the Greek. It means to be strong, to have power. It conveys the idea of having strength to perform a task. In other words, what God has put on Paul, a demand on Paul, Paul, this is what I want you to do. And Paul might say, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that on my own. And, and so he's learned the secret of allowing the strength of God to live through him to accomplish what God has demanded of him. It's not Paul's strength, it's God's strength. See? Yeah. And when you see, man, is that something cool. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. When you know it's God working in you. Yeah. That's what gets you fired up, man. You know? It's not this, i got to try harder, you know. No, it's resting in God's power in you and seeing it work. That is so encouraging. And so that word, Paul, that word do means to be strong, to have power, um, strength to have performed that task. Um, Jesus said in John 15, 5, for apart from me you can do nothing. Um, And Paul discovered that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, the demands that God has on our lives, we can't do them in our own strength. It takes God's strength. Which goes back to Daniel 6, where Daniel is praying, God, I need your help. Right? You, you see there? It, there's, it's a consistent picture, really, throughout the Bible. And um, so Paul is really fired up over the fact that he has seen God's faithfulness um, providing the strength that he needed to accomplish everything that God wanted him to do. And Paul realized this wasn't the end of the story because God had more stuff for him to do. And that word strength um, comes from our English word dynamite. Dynamite. And so for all you pyromaniacs out there, you you could say, man, Paul, thanks for putting that word in the Bible. Uh, it means to be empowered, to be enabled, to be made strong, to be increased in strength. So let's, let's read that. And so, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me the empowerment to be enabled, to be made strong, to be increased in strength. Isn't that good? Yeah. 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 Matt Brown wrote, in hard times, God gives us the gift of his spirit. This is what he says. Everyone's struggling. This has been an extraordinarily difficult time in our world for many, in many ways, financially, physically, mentally, and spiritually. As believers, we can be encouraged that God wants us to give, give us a specific kind of help during seasons like these. We, we don't just go with the flow of culture, but we flow with the wind of his spirit. What is the spirit? posture or attitude God gives us in difficult times like these that we've been in. Scripture is crystal clear. 
2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, for this reason, Paul writes, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Some translations say a sound mind. So there's three traits Matt writes about here that are given in, in that text. Number one, in difficult season seasons, God gives us a spirit of power. Listen to what he says. Henrietta Mears once said, she was a Sunday school teacher out in California for decades. Christianity is not adding a burden to your life. It is adding power. The scripture tells us that the same power which raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. The word used from God's power at work in the life of a believer is dynamis. That's what we just read in Philippians 4. The root word we get our word dynamite from. That is some extreme power. As my friend Andrew has said, it is inconceivable to think that same power which raised Jesus from the dead would come into our life and do nothing. Right? And do nothing. So when times are dark and difficult, guess what we can count on? We can count on God's power working in us. Helping you stand firm in his truth when you don't know if you have enough power on your own. When does God give us this power ahead of time? Question mark. No, he gives it right when we need it. He gives us enough grace for each new new day's challenges and concerns at the time that we need it as we rely and stay close to him. How do we appropriate God's power when we need it? Well, just like that worship leader mentioned, we need to read the Bible, he says. Pray and ask God for his help and trust that he will carry you when you cannot carry yourself. And in conclusion, how can we practically fan the flame of power, love, and a sound mind inside of you during difficult times? You need to stay connected to Jesus through remembering the gospel, through the meditation of the Word of God, through prayer and experiencing God's presence with you right where you are. Pray and ask for His comfort, grace, blessing, strength for each new day, and He will never fail to provide for your needs. There you have it. That's a good word of encouragement coming out of verse 13. Do everything, do everything Paul's talking about. Does that verse promise that Christians can do anything and everything they want? No, it doesn't. What God promises is that we can do everything he wants us to do. There's the balance. There's the perspective. God promises to give us the strength to do what he asks. And the question I'd like to submit to, what does God want you to do? Maybe you've been ignoring it or saying, I'm not ready for it, or maybe in the sweet by and by. No. God wants to empower you right now. So Christ was giving Paul the strength, the one empowering me to continue his ministry with plenty or with need. That word strength is something that Paul used quite a bit. In 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. 2 Timothy 4.17, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news. So those two verses are great chains to hang on to Philippians 4.13. They are. 
So this strength is something that Paul didn't, you know, I got to get more strength. I got to get more strength, you know. If I say it a hundred times, I'll get more strength. No, that's not what he's talking about. It was a power that was infused into Paul's life. It was there. And this is not a statement from Paul talking about self-confidence, but he is talking about God-confidence. He can brag about God because it's all about him. And we've hit this verse before in Philippians 2.13. I love it because I think it just summarizes everything that we've been talking about. For God is working in you. Question mark, is God working in you? Paul is saying God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I love it. That word power is an active power. It's not a stale power. It's a power you got to plug. No, it's a active power. That active power to do what pleases him. That's great, man. That's, that is so good. So Paul's words are words that can be spoken by every follower of Christ, right? Definitely. And so, number two, number two, you ready? Live to give for others. Live to give for others. Verses 14 through 16, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help When I first brought you the good news and then traveled from Macedonia, no other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. That word share. Let's take a look at that. Um, You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. That means to partner together. You have partnered together with me. So John Erickson was here recently. And Life Church has been supporting him for decades. And so what, what happens, whatever John and Anya do in Guinea, West Africa, Life Church is doing it as well. Yeah. See, we're partnering with them. What they're doing, we get credit for as well. We'll get more into that a little bit later. It means to share something in common with another that you have partnered with. So by sending a financial gift, Paul is saying that the Philippians were close partners with him in spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, my present difficulty, what's that look like? It's a pressing, it's a pressing together, it's pressure, it's distress, it's oppression. You know? Maybe you feel like that right now. You've been under pressure. And you don't know how you're going to handle it. Paul is saying, hey, in my present difficulty, he's feeling the pressure. He's feeling that distress. But Paul reflects back 10 years earlier when he and Silas planted that church. And they were beaten and arrested and thrown in prison and placed in chains. And then at midnight, the clock went off. On their smartphones, boop, it's time to pray and it's time to sing. 12 o'clock in the morning, Acts 16, 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that cool? My present difficulty, he's saying, man, I want to keep my eyes on the Lord. I'm going to pray to him. 
Daniel asked for, thank God for all the good things that he had done, and he asked for God's help. And Paul is saying, man, we're going to pray to God, and we're going to sing hymns to God. We're going to lift up his great name, even though we've been falsely arrested here. So Paul is excited that the church and Philippi, 800 miles from where he is at, has been committed to giving finances to his ministry. He's saying, man, because you have given, you have given, guess what? That's a cool thing that we live to give for others. How is that working out for you this morning? Some of you have been to Lake Tahoe. Um, I never have, so it's where Nevada and California meet. Isn't that beautiful? That looks like Wisconsin to me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Lake Tahoe is the eighth deepest lake in the world. It's the deepest, the deepest point in the lake is 1,645 feet. Some of you may want to go down to the bottom. I don't know, but it's a long way down. Lake Tahoe is so large that if the lake was tipped over, its contents would cover California in 14 and a half inches of water. Tahoe could provide every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water per day for five years. Pretty good, huh? The evaporation, just the evaporation from Tahoe over the course of one year could supply a city the size of Los Angeles for five years. And Lake Tahoe is a small lake compared to Lake Superior. Lake Superior is 120 times larger. And the world's largest lake, the Caspian Sea, is 576 times as large. So your use of water could never personally exhaust the limits of Lake Tahoe. Here's the secret. God has no limits. Whatever you need, you can never exhaust God's supply. And Paul realized that. And that's why he's saying the church at Philippi, God has used you. God has used you as a congregation to supply my financial needs. And I am fired up over that. And friend, I just want to encourage you this morning. Let's press on to know God more and to trust him for his supply in the days that we're living. What a time to do it. Hmm? Gas prices are going up. Everything's going up. And when we give to the Lord, we're saying, God, I'm trusting you. You are greater than any inflation. Right? We are. That's what we're saying. We are saying, Lord, we are trusting your economy. And so I'm plugging into that because you are faithful and your supply never ends. Father, thank you this morning for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. And as the Apostle Paul Lord, he learned to celebrate. He learned, he lived to learn. He lived to adapt. He lived to trust your power and he lived to give for others. Lord, help us to let go of what you've given to us. 
May we realize that we have been called your sons and daughters and that you promise, Lord, to meet every need that we have. Lord, as we read your word, may you open our eyes and our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and to see what's already been written in your word, and may we apply it to our lives. Why? Because then we become more like you. That's our goal. So thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had together to listen to your word. And now we get to choose to obey it. Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can identify a little bit with Austin Carlisle. Your life has fallen apart. It seems that you've blamed God. You become bitter at God, but at the end of the day, you realize that God loves you. He loves you. How, does, how do we know he loves you? Because he took his one and only son and allowed Jesus to go to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin in full, not partially, but all of our sin. So we can say, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross in my place. You took my place. I should have gone to the cross to die for my sins, but you went to the cross in my place. And you paid for my sin debt in full. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. You gave your one and only son. Lord, that whoever believes in you will never perish but have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that promise. Thank you for going to the cross and forgiving my sins. Thank you for paying my sin debt in full. And today I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. I'm saying yes to you. Just like Austin Carlyle did. And Austin has proved you to be faithful. And you want to prove your faithfulness to each one of us, Lord. So thank you. Thank you for coming into my life. And Lord, I endeavor to live for you the rest of my life through the power of your spirit. That power that we talked about this morning. It's not me trying harder. It's allowing you to live through me. (laughs) And I'm going to let that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.